0: I'm Stuart Buchanan and you're listening to Out From Under on Resonance Extra, a weekly exploration of eclectic and experimental Australian music co-produced with FBI Radio in Sydney. This is our very first episode and in this one we're going to be talking about Pretty Gritty, which is one of uh, many live events that are staged in independent and underground spaces throughout Sydney by some of its experimental music community. I'm going to be talking to some of the artists involved in Pretty Gritty, and that includes Astrid Zeman, who's an amazing vocalist, composer, and multi-instrumentalist, uh, Sydney sound artist Daniel Whiting, and finish off talking with Emma Kelly, who goes under the name of Happy Axe, and she plays violin and musical saw. Now, Pretty Gritty is described by its curator Gail Priest as, quote, a home for ambient electronica and other poorly named genres that play with sound shards, dirty rumbles, and digital detritus, which is uh, quite a description. And she tags on at the end of it something that's very telling, which is it's a little bit sweet. And a little bit noisy. Gail Priest is a writer, she's an editor, an artist, and curator, and really has been a very consistent force in Australian experimental music over many, many years. She's done a lot of sound installation work for galleries and other art spaces, electroacoustic performances and recordings, and she's also edited a great collection called Experimental Music Audio Explorations in Australia in which many great writers and thinkers and participants in the Australian experimental music scene share some of their thoughts about the scene over the last 40 years or so. And she's also curated for the likes of Australia's Electro Fringe Festival, the Biennale of Sydney and the Museum of Contemporary Art. But in this episode, we're talking to her about her independent experimental music series, Pretty Gritty. We're going to chat about the series itself, her curatorial approach, as well as tapping into her other recent investigations into experimental music and its culture. And as we listen to Gail talk, we're going to hear a performance from the dual Clocks and Clouds, recorded live at a recent Pretty Gritty event.
1: I'm Gail Priest, I'm a Sydney-based sound artist, and I also put on this event called Pretty Gritty, and, um, and I also write about sound as well, so I kind of have a practice that, that takes in, you know, the whole gamut of, of what it is to make sound. So I started Pretty Gritty in 2013. In response, in some ways, to this venue, which is 107 Projects opening up, I always wanted to put on a a gig series, but there just wasn't quite the right space in Sydney at the time, and then this, this space opened up, which is fantastic. You know, there's been really interesting gig series over the years, which different people have put on, and they vary in their levels of experimentalism. And what I was finding with my own practice and with the things that I was interested in hearing was that there was a bit of a gap in the middle between the hardcore experimental and then the more kind of the pop stuff that was using experimental techniques or you know using technology in an interesting way i thought this would be a space to to have this kind of in between zone of experimentalism the thing about live gigs is the collective listening for me it's the fact that you get a um, you know a group of people in a room and you know certainly sometimes like the performance may not be as good as what a recording might be but it's more about the fact that we listen together in the space and um, and I think that that does something amazing to the way that we we hear and we hear in much more depth and we we give in to the moment I think and so I'm I'm really passionate about that it's definitely about a community and that collective listening experience. I have been developing a theory about experimental gigs and about how uncomfortable they are and that they don't have to be. You know, I, I went to a gig in Berlin recently and it was just so uncomfortable. Like, the, the lights were on full and no one knew each other and we were all just sitting there. It started 45 minutes late. You know, everyone was just awkward and uncomfortable and I went, it doesn't have to be like that. I don't care if the music is really difficult and awkward and uncomfortable, but the actual environment doesn't have to be. My approach to curating Pretty Gritty is because it's completely self-funded I don't feel like I have to fulfill anyone else's agenda except my own and I've been pretty clear about that like I could have applied to to get a little bit of funding perhaps I haven't done that because I want to keep it completely independent and that is so I really can indulge my own desires and what I have enjoyed about running pretty gritty is that they are you know other people's desires so I love the epic in experimental music, and the I, I love when things go from you know really noisy into really pretty into really big, and there was a certain generation of artists like Pimon, um, Orin Ambachi, some some of the earlier experimental electronic artists. You know all their work is like that, and that's definitely what I aspire to and what I love most. And so that's why it's called Pretty Gritty, really, because there was actually a Dutch Last FM listening group. And I can't say it in Dutch, but it basically meant pretty and gritty, or pretty and dirty. And um, and when I found that, I went, yes, that is exactly what I, what I like. And so that's kind of the overall way that it happens. And then within that, I do always try and program a more emerging artist, just so that there is a, a spectrum. You know, mi- mix it up enough, but within a theme, so that you know you will be both strategically pulling in different audience bases, but also that the event will have, you know, some interesting undulations in it. Mm. I find sometimes when I go, oh, I'm going to go out to an experimental gig, I go, oh. it's not that I don't want to hear the music, it's sometimes that I don't want to go through the negotiation of that environment. And so, to me, it's definitely about making it a more playful environment to be in, that then it doesn't take away from the seriousness of the music at the risk of essentialising, it's definitely my way of doing things and I think I'm trying to do it in a, in a female way. I think I'm going, you know, let's make this space a softer space uh, and a more welcoming space for this kind of music. The music itself can be whatever it is.
0: Curator Gail Priest, there talking about her Sydney experimental music series, Pretty Gritty. Now her work as a curator also extends into other areas, for example, a recent interactive sound installation called Sounding the Future. We're gonna hear about that in a moment and hear some of the work that she created for that installation. But first of all, I wanted to ask her about a project called Audible Women that she started last year, which is a directory of women in experimental music. So I kicked off by asking her what the genesis was for that project. And underneath this part of the interview, we're gonna hear some of Gail's live work, uh, track Voice Meets Noise, recorded at Experimentag in Berlin.
1: So I started Audible Women last year, in 2015, in response both to the larger picture, which was that it's the 21st century. It has to start on a smaller scale. We have to be more visible in the underground and then it will start to feed up, you know, ideally. And also, I wanted to find more women. I'd always had a list... I'd gone through my list of people and I needed more women to put on. And so I opened it up and it was... um, I'd also just finished, you know, a kind of long-term job that I'd had and I was feeling a little bit like I wasn't very useful to the world. I was being a bit too solipsistic in my own artistic practice. So, you you know, I need to do these things to be useful to the scene, I think. So I started it up and invited the females that I knew and then just to have a body to start with. And then it picked up quite quickly, and particularly internationally. And I know that there's, these, there's other um, things like this, like female pressure, which actually is a huge database. It's over, you know, 1,000 people. But um, in some ways, mine is more niche. It's definitely experimental underground practice, really. And it's got a lot of people, particularly from South and Central America. I'm aiming to get more Asian artists um, yeah, so that it's, it's kind of a, a particular scale of, of artists working in this way that are just happy to have some quite visible representation, really. The main idea, really, is just that there are a lot of visible women. That's why it's called Audible Women. It's like the idea of visible women, um, you know, so that when you... Uh, looking for an artist and you're going, oh, there's no women out there doing this, that you actually look at audible women and you, you go, oh, hang on, you know, I want someone that does ambient beats. Oh, look, under the ambient beat category, there's three women I've never heard of before, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it is meant to be a tool to go, every time you say there's no women out there doing it, actually there might be. And also just for women to be able to promote themselves within, you know, a kind of nice... Body of other women, really. Um, well, Happy Axe was one of those. Like I, you know, came across her and then uh, asked her to, you know, submit to Audible Women, and then um, and went, oh, now I can, you know, because um, she's from Canberra. was like, you know, can will you come up to Sydney to do a gig? Um, there's really interesting international artists. That of course, you know, I can't give them gigs, but you know, I really like listening to their in, to their work. There's a, a French artist called Tarine um, who does kind of punk lo-fi um, noise noise stuff? Um, I, I like what she's doing. Um, yeah, I've just had a whole kind of bunch of Norwegian women have, um, who've, who've joined up. So yeah.
2: When all the minds are uploaded, will we be together again?
1: When all the minds are uploaded, will we all know the
3: same thing?
1: And all equal in knowledge, will this knowing be enough? When all the minds are uploaded, these minds that hold our flaws, Will we not then be equally flawed? And when all the minds are uploaded, who will be left to maintain the bits and boxes that hold us? To dust and defrag us? When all the minds are uploaded, we will be together again.
2: For a long,
1: long, long time. So Sound in the Future ties into my practice as a whole, as a a writer, and eventually it will tie into it as a curator as well. When I was young, I didn't like science fiction at all, but in the mid-90s, I started using computers and I found cyberpunk. And the two for me were just like, you know, my whole world changed, my whole practice. I Before that, had been an actor. You know, my whole practice just, you know, found itself. And media art was a, was a really burgeoning field in Australia. There were, there were particular elements of science fiction that I really loved as well, and that was when people talked about art in science fiction, which actually happens a lot. Um, someone like William Gibson always has art as a little kernel of, of something in, in the middle of his pieces, and this really started me thinking when I, I wanted a large-scale project that I could work on over several years, and I wanted to start writing science fiction. And so I went, well, what you know, what I know most about is sound. I want to write science fiction about sound. And so um, I developed this this project that's um, in its first iteration is a, a huge interactive hypertext which has uh, multiple science fictional scenarios about what sound in the future will sound like, but it's also. Um, Contextualised by interviews with sound artists in Australia, and where I ask them what they think the future sounds like, and how they think their practice kind of plays into a sense of futurity, and and so it's, it's this uh, ficto-critical body of work really that will have several manifestations: the installation, hopefully a radio work, and uh, and also maybe an e-publication, and maybe a larger exhibition in, in 2017. It's always been about adaptation. Get too specialized, you might just find yourself edged into obsolescence. That's what Manuela tells herself as she parks her bike on the street and detaches her battery pack from the dynamo. Down the stairs to the cellar, she hands it over to Bern Ice, the girl guy at the entrance. At this venue, they take door charge, literally. Her battery added to a chain of trickle feeds, converted and amped up to run the sound system. The more people, the more power to the PA. She wants it long and loud. At the bar that grows from the fender of a long-gone gas-guzzling auto, She grabs a beer with an electrolyte chaser. If you use yourself as a feed, you've got to make sure you don't get kinky. She passes Leon, the barman, two slim silver discs as payment. Battery coins she's juiced up earlier. Leon is looking overcharged. She can feel the field of static around him. You've been working too hard, Leon. Leon. I reckon you need to offload some. How about you jack up the PA for me? Leon smiles, his teeth laced with metal sparking bright blue. To hear you, loud baby, sure. The borders between work, leisure and survival are pretty permeable these days. You've just got to do things to keep moving, to make vibrations keep charging just as long as you don't stop. Sal is up first, performing his mash of noise, spoken word and stand-up. A beer in one hand, a coil of wire wrapped around the other, jacked into a bulging vein, powering his own hyper-directional speaker. Screaming obscenities the crowd can't hear, Cloaked and channeled through ultrasonic beams, he can hurl abuse pinpointed to a patron accuracy of a 15 centimetre radius. Some victims are laughing, others are getting pissed. Sal might get his own later out in the lane, but if so, he'll be sucking it for what it's worth. A punch holds a few good jewels he can keep for later. midnight. Manuela's turn to play. She pinches some flesh on her left arm and pushes through a fine needle, in and out, leaving copper thread in a crosshatch pattern, neat as an ancient embroiderer. The design, a primal noise generator of hums and buzzes and spits, uneasy peace between flesh and current. She hives off channels from the feed, buffer shuffled, skipping beats, bass boom driving drill like, and screaming Mimi treble flesh and flash over the rhythmic bones. And the crowd begins to move, to sway and stomp and stab. And then there's dancing. just what she wants to see. The floor of Leon's is wired up to harvest vibes. You get the crowd generating, you get an extra cut at the end of the night. Tonight's alright, she thinks, as she sinks another needle into flesh for the howling finale. At the end, she's high and full of buzz, charged in all capacities. The nanofilm filters in her converter have recycled some mighty vibrations, sound and movement all back into the juices they all need now more than water. As she leaves, she gives Leon a full-mouthed kiss just to feel the sting of static and heads back out into the battery ignite. Understanding the Future as an installation is a one-on-one work, like one for one person at a time, which actually most of my installation practice has been. kind of comes a bit from a performative thing of demanding the audience's attention. You know, like if you're the only person in the room, you have to be in the work. You have to be present in it. So that one audience member sits in the middle of a projection, which is down projected onto the floor. They have wireless headphones on and they become immersed in this... It's a darkened room, so it's it's a very immersive environment to be in. And they get introduced to the idea of these fictional scenarios and then they can choose which way they go. There's three themes of future city, future human and future sighting. Um, the future sighting is the non-fiction material. They can navigate like a big website, but it's like you're inside the website, basically. And there's a lot of kind of animation... Uh, video animation that goes with, with these very saturated soundtracks. I found it very, very hard to project beyond beyond the now, and I suppose because I like cyber fiction as well, I'm not interested in the long, long, long term. So it is a, a kind of short-term future vision, and so it is very much informed by what is present now. And actually, annoyingly, several times I thought I would come up with some amazing idea and then I was reading of course a lot of of, you know tech magazines and science magazines and then I'd always find that it already exists. I suppose the thing is that these things exist but which are the things that are going to take off you know which are the things that that society will want and while I never felt like I invented something amazing about what the future really will sound like it raised a lot of interesting questions and particularly with the non-fiction interview material with people really really essential questions about how we we frame our society and and how we should be driving that and so the oral world is is a perfect example of going what do we want the oral world to sound like do we want it to be noisier do we want it to be quiet do we want there to be more collective listening or more individuated listening because so much of what we think about in the future is about the individual It's like by the time we have google glass and oral augmentation it's all about everything's just happening in the individual and nothing is so little will be shared i was excited by a lot of those kind of larger social issues that arose from the idea of thinking about listening
0: Gail Priest there talking about Sounding the Future. You can find out more about that project at SoundingTheFuture.com. The Pretty Gritty event that we talked about earlier on the show, that happens every couple of months in central Sydney. You can check it out at Pretty-Gritty.net. And if you want to find out more about Audible Women or even sign up yourself, it's AudibleWomen.com. I'm Stuart Buchanan, and you're listening to Out From Under on Resonance Extra. A weekly exploration of eclectic and experimental Australian music, co-produced with FBI Radio in Sydney. And it's our very first episode, so congratulations on having the prescience to be here for this auspicious moment. Now we're talking about Pretty Gritty, and in its most recent event, which was dubbed Overtonal Undertow, had a chance to sit down and speak to some of the artists involved and get a handle on their background and their practice and their approach to both playing live and composing experimental music. In a moment, we're going to hear from Sydney sound artist Daniel Whiting and also Canberra musician Happy Axe. But first up, Astrid Zeman, a wonderful vocalist, composer and multi-instrumentalist. Earlier this year, she founded and co-directed the Eropund Women's Music Festival which was designed to promote greater representation of female and transgender artists. And at the tail end of last year, she released a great EP called You Will Outlast Me All, Even the Babe in Arms. And from that EP, this is called State Transitions.
4: I'm a solo musician and artist. I work a lot with a loop pedal and I'm also a multi-instrumentalist so I play piano, uh, trombone and guitar Um, and I guess in the last year I've been focusing a lot on my extending my vocal practice so incorporating throat singing as well as harmonic singing into creating uh, vocal drones Uh, and when I use other instruments like the guitar with the loop pedal, I really try to interact with it as a tactile instrument. So I will scratch the strings, knock the body, sing into the cavity and uh, really interact with the (laughs) instrument on stage. Once I started using the loop pedal and I could lay down um, really interesting riffs or harmonies, then once you start laying over more and more lines or melodies or harmonies they tend to overcrowd each other in the same um, frequency spectrum and so the ways that I would try to manipulate the instrument by knocking it or I would just be trying to get out different textures and different frequencies that would stand in contrast to just normal melody lines and that way I could create a much fuller sound and demonstrate all of the range of textures that you could get out of a single instrument Talking a bit more about the tactile approach, I started going to lots of experimental gigs and seeing what people could do with instruments, and I just found that quite fascinating. It's quite fun to watch people use uh, use an instrument that you would traditionally associate just being played in a certain way, and then you see it being used in completely different manipulations, and you're like, wow, I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> it's really, uh, It's really quite quite fun to, to have this exploration with um, an acoustic instrument that you can't quite I guess in the electronic space it's not not quite the same you can you can sort of fill around with knobs and change parameters I guess I kind of like the physicality of instruments it's, it's a bit more enthralling to watch on stage. once you're trained in a particular way to use an instrument it's difficult to not fall back into those techniques I found it really difficult to play randomly, like I find that in itself is a really complicated task, like even if you're just playing one note to make the note occur at a very random frequency it's very difficult because you, you tend to just fall into creating rhythms and I would try to remove my autonomy over the instrument so I might use a knife blade to hit the strings and then that way I feel like there's some extra randomness that goes into playing the instrument rather than me directly hitting the note. I sort of glance around my apartment for lots of inspiration. Like I did one project which was taking vegetables out of my fridge to see what sounds they would make. And so um, I had one track that was banging lettuce around in a, in a salad spinner and that made a great percussive uh, <laughs> element. Uh, I have a bunch of toys at home and like one that created this great rattlesnake effect that I used in one of my tracks. On my EP, I might pick random sounds and work a composition from that. I also take a lot of inspiration from literature, so um, some of my songs might be from particular novelists like Paolo Coelho or Jan Martel and Walton Moores, he's a German author. They're all like just such imaginative writers, and their writing is also set in particular landscapes like deserts or oceans that kind of lend themselves to a particular soundtrack. And so I might pick certain lyrics from the books and use that as inspiration for writing lyrics and songs. So. was a women's music festival to promote female and transgender artists in in mostly in sydney i suppose and uh it came about because i guess i would just go to loads of gigs and i'd rarely see very many women on stage i find in the in the experimental scene it's usually pretty good balance um although yeah sometimes some nights i've gone out and it'll still be it traditionally tends to be about 80 or 90% men on stage and um, as a performer, I, I kind of really enjoy seeing women up on stage. I find that much more empowering and much more inspirational. It's, it's, um, it means that I have someone to relate to on stage. I've worked with um, Hiska Wise from Fables and she also does her own solo music. She helped me to co-organise this festival pulled together a whole bunch of musicians and had a festival over two days. Well, so my background is in the science industry and in there it's it's usually about 80 or 90% men, but there are initiatives to correct that balance and so they have women in engineering scholarships and they really try to promote having women at the university level and so on. And it's strange that the music industry I can't really quite pinpoint where the imbalance suddenly occurs. If it's like Bree Van Ryke, she founded the School of Rock for Girls and she believes it's more even at a high school level. So as soon as you start picking up an instrument that you suddenly have to start vying for being able to play against other other guys who just sort of drown you out. And I know other people who think it's as soon as you enter into university and the enrolments are high for women doing a, a music degree, but the majority of them end up going into teaching and rather than taking more of a professional role in, in the music industry. Then there's all these other questions about like is certain genres that attract women more than others. I think that was one really important. Um, point that we wanted to make with the festival was to have all of these genres to show that women can play across all different styles we wanted to make sure that colored women were represented we wanted to make sure that transgender women were also represented we just tried to really make it a complete mixed bag just to show off all of these talented women that we have out there
0: That's artist Astrid Zeman there talking about her practice and her involvement in the recent Eropand Women's Music Festival. You can find her on SoundCloud at Astrid Zeman, A-S-T-R-I-D-Z-E-M-A-N, Astrid Zeman. Now on to Daniel Whiting, a sound artist from Sydney who conducts investigations into sound design and contemporary recording techniques and also working with concepts that he describes quote as repetition, transformation and recombination. I asked him about all of those facets of his practice and we'll hear from him in just a second but first a short snippet of music from Daniel's performance recorded live a Pretty Gritty.
5: Dan Whiting's musician and sound artist from Sydney Australia predominantly been performing electronic and experimental music through my career that stemmed from I guess my studies in instrumental so I studied music university principal instrument was bass guitar and guitar as well also played a lot of piano as a a youngster and and did all that going to uni I sort of more informed myself in studio technology that was when I just really started getting involved in the combination of production and uh, music as well. That informed my practice in terms of taking the disciplines of studio engineering and production and everything that goes into making a record and folding that more deeply into the music making pro- process. So um, everything I do is, is very much informed by both aspects of that. So yeah, there's a lot of, lot of things where I'll pick up something from you know, production techniques which are interesting in one format and try and translate those into something completely different i guess to try and, and throw those production aspects out of context and, and pick up new little nuances in there and yeah My approach to sort of live playing, the stuff I'm looking at at the moment, is very guitar oriented and so I've gotten into a way of doing these guitar things where I'm really structuring them and layering them and sort of tearing a lot of stuff apart as well. So from a live context, a lot of the stuff I do is sampled pre-recorded guitar parts which I've done, a lot of different guitar parts which I just then um, go through and orchestrate through a, a session of live. Do uh, a lot of cutting up and rearranging I guess on the fly I take the elements which I've sort of put there and try uh, and to craft some things, uh, I go in there with the pieces and a bit of an idea of what I want to do and then uh, usually about uh, 30 seconds into that that idea goes by the wayside and you just go with what's, uh, what's happening so it's more of a, an arrangement and more of an exercise and a live arranging almost at the moment The compositions, I think, are always a little bit... They're a little bit simpler, I think. So from the live perspective, because I can prepare that stuff, I like to get make it a little bit more complex. And for me, making it a little bit more complex means there's a little bit more scope for something going wrong. And I kind of like that in a live setting because it then makes me think on my feet. A lot of my composition starts on the train at work, wherever. So I'm prolific note writer. Uh, so I just go through notebooks, 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 and i just constantly putting stuff down in terms of the ideas and musical ideas or production ideas or whatever. And so the compositional approach definitely starts there. And then usually it just turns into getting some of that stuff down and then I might leave it for, you know, a few weeks or, you know, maybe even a month or so and come back to it and it's interesting then because you then find yourself combining different ideas Um, so the the compositional approach while initially feeling a little bit more scattered and complex I try and keep it as simple so I, I try and keep the elements fairly refined and make those elements sound right I guess the other thing too is I really like condensing compositions into shorter form pieces now. So certainly long ago I would have worked it into like a 12-minute piece or something like that. But um, I've always been a frustrated songwriter, I guess, in that I've never been able to just grab a guitar and a microphone and and sing out a song that everyone's going to like. But I've always liked that format of being able to tell a story in a condensed amount of time. That's been something I really worked on compositionally in terms of simple elements, shorter time frames, and, and making sure that it's a really refined and concerted efforts. Thing of co-opting one form of music into another. In that, I love the fact that it seems the metal community and the metal scene have given us something fantastic in extended-range baritone neck guitars with seven strings and eight strings and great bridges and stuff. And and so all of this development for metal bands wanting lower and lower and lower strings has given me more strings and better-sounding guitars and. It opens up so much more capacity for interesting chord voicings, which is amazing. So I've really gotten into using those so sort 7-string of baritone guitars and, and sort of 8-string guitars and really messing with the tuning on, and you can come up with some really interesting stuff. So I really like that because it just gives you so much more capacity to do things. And also from someone who started off life as a bass player, an 8-string neck is a lot easier to navigate than a little tiny 6-string guitar neck. Which is always still, you know, to me feels like a bit of a toy. So I I love that stuff. I love like open voicings and the the use of a a lot of really rich harmonic information and stuff. It's interesting for me because there's just been so much development on those guitars now and they sound amazing. And so I've got these guitars now which are seven string baritone neck, which is just fantastic, and um, this eight string neck. And they're the way that they're designed and developed, and they've got phenomenally strong bridges they're all neck through so you get these brilliant sustaining guitars that stay in tune and have so much broader harmonic palette on them, Uh, they're fantastic.
0: Sydney sound artist Daniel Whiting. You can find more of his work on a great Australian label called Flaming Pines. A couple of releases from him, River's Home, George's River, and Tiny Portraits, Sonic Postcards from Australia's Lesser Known Places. Now, to close this week's show, we're going to hear from Emma Kelly who performs under the name of Happy Axe and takes to the stage with violin and musical saw and her own great voice as well. She grew up in the Australian bush in a small town called Wilds Meadow before heading off to Canberra to complete a degree in violin and playing in a whole bunch of groups covering a whole lot of different genres. She's settled now with Happy Axe. A brand new EP is out now called Dystopia. And before we hear from her, we're going to hear an extract of a track called Got Away.
3: and I go by the name of Happy Axe and I basically use a few different sounds to create soundscapes. I um, use violin and vocals and musical saw to create layers of sound and sort of build it up slowly as um, an evolving semi-improvised soundscape. I guess I chose those instruments because, firstly, violin's my comfort zone, having been classically trained in violin. That's kind of my starting point. It's the instrument I know my way around really well, and and I think it's a really great instrument in terms of being able to build up really nice layers, because you can sound like a whole string section, which is just such a special sound. It's very versatile because you've got so many different sounds you can make with the bow as well, just like ricochet and. Um, woody sounds and plucking sounds and stuff like that and then i guess the saw is it's got a very particular tone color so it cuts through anything and it's um it actually blends really well with some of the high notes of the violin but it also stands out really well over like a some kind of soundscape that i could have built up you know so it, it comes out nicely as a piercing um, tone heard the saw for the first time in a band in Newcastle called Mojo Juju and the Snake Oil Merchants (laughs) and they had an excellent saw player. It being a bowed instrument in a way I was drawn to it yeah because I thought oh well I know my way around the bow so maybe it will be pretty easy to to get the hang of and yeah it's one of those instruments like the violin or the voice where it's you have to know your pitch really well so you know having played violin I thought oh that's something that I might be able to do and it's quite tricky to get it to play in tune so it was a fun challenge and probably two weeks to get you know of every day playing um, took me to actually get pitch and melodies happening reliably and then from then on it was just sort of better and better but yeah, there's a lot of sitting there playing scales and figuring out, you know, tones and semitones and how much I had to bend the saw to get the next note so yeah, it was fun, it was a good challenge and now it sort of comes norm- like naturally to me to play, so. My compositions come about actually experimentally, like I'll just sit there and try and listen to what sounds I can make and what happens when I put this or that effect on them and the sounds inspire the composition in a way, like just building up stuff and seeing what happens, it will make me kind of react to the sound I've just made as though I'm jamming with myself in a way. <laughs> yeah, it's like having other musicians in the room because, like you know, you have something happens, you respond and, and then you go down this complete wormhole of sounds and... I often record bits of the process, like when something happens that I like, I, I quickly record a snippet of it so I can remember how I got to that point. And so having that um, the software there is really a really huge part of my composition. I think I'd like to put more vocals in, not in like a, a more traditional way, like not necessarily lyrics, but just use of vocals as another layer because that's only in two of my songs in the EP and I feel like having that human element in there, it really draws people in in a way that other instruments can't. I've really noticed the effect it has on people when I sing as opposed to just have instrumental tracks and it's really interesting so I'd like to experiment with that and um, vocals being used instrumentally.
0: That's Happy Axe from Canberra. And that track that closed the interview there was taken from a debut EP. The track was called Happy Wall. You can find her at soundcloud.com slash happy X. Well, that's us. We've arrived at the end of episode one of Out From Under. I'm glad that you stayed the distance. Thank you. For more information on the program, you can find us on Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram as Out From Under Radio. We're also on email if you want to drop us a line. At out from under radio at gmail.com. Thanks to all the artists that we featured in today's show, Gail Priest, Astrid Zeman, Daniel Whiting and Emma Kelly, also to Peter Lansley at Resonance Extra and Caroline Gates and Beth Dalgleish at FBI Radio in Sydney. I'm Stuart Buchanan, and on next week's show, we're going to be talking to the next, the amazing Australian improvisational trio celebrating their 30th anniversary and the release of their brand-new album, Vertigo.